How are we doing today? You know, I have got to tell you, I just realized I'm not the usual guy up here in case you're visiting. Tim is. And uh, I've been here, this will be my third week in a row, and then I'll get another long break. And, no, that's okay, that's okay. And I'm just not as good at being up here as Tim is. That's, that's my evaluation. And I've been negligent at something. Okay, we just sang a song about our God is a God that saves. And apparently there's three people in recent weeks that, that, have, that have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and been baptized. And I... And I failed to announce them. I failed. First one, and these are not in any particular order, James Mitchell, stand up or teenager, teenager, senior in high school. His family's been coming. Is, is it your, your cousin was baptized, correct? Okay. Uh, next one, from Turkey. Ege. You ask if we believe in world missions. And in all serious, guys, Ege, is I, am I pronouncing that correct? Ege. He also goes by EJ, okay, uh, is from Turkey. And the majority of the people in Turkey are Muslim, is that correct? And early on, my son had the privilege of studying the Bible with EJ. And uh, he said that one of the things EJ said is he wants to learn everything he can about Jesus when he goes back to Turkey after school. So it is cool. We are involved in world missions. And the third one, Jane Honecker. Did I pronounce that correct? Jane, stand up, please. You didn't want to stand up, did you? <laughs> Jane has been coming with Nancy Shook, who's just recently came back to Greater Alton, correct? And so, guys, God is a God that saves, and it is very cool to watch this, and I apologize for not announcing them uh, over the last couple of weeks, but it's more fun to do them all at once, isn't it? So we do that. And a couple other announcements to get it out of the way. I just don't like announcements at all, to be honest with you, but it's the way it goes. First one is that next weekend is our treats from the trunk. You all know about that. You all know what it is. We're going to give a lot away, away a lot of candy to a lot of kids. Uh, remind you, we always kind of wonder if we're going to have enough candy, so if you haven't donated candy, we encourage you to bring that back. The other thing is that, um, I'm blanking on his name, uh, they need more people to help with parking. Bob Bader, and if you need, if you can help with parking, you need to speak with Bob Bader or go to the information center out the end and say, hey, I'd like to help with parking, and they'll get you his name and number, and uh, they'll take care of you. Last announcement is we have a ladies' retreat coming up. Weekend alone with the guys. Um, anyway, they have asked me to say that a number of you have signed up for who you want to room with, but you've not actually registered for the retreat. Don't ask me how that works, okay? But if you've signed up for a roommate and not registered or you need to check on registering, again, go to the information booth. Uh, after services and get that taken care of. And I'd also like to encourage you that uh, there's a, num a handful of ladies who would like to go and uh, finances are just tight for them. You know, we've had a couple teenagers don't have it. I know we talked about it in our zone prayer meeting this week and, you know, $20 bills start flying around the room. Uh, people wanting to help out. So if you would like to help a lady go to the ladies retreat, uh, talk to them at the information center also 
and they'll make that available, correct? You're flagging me down for something? Oh, okay. My wife's motioning me something. I thought she... Usually that means I did something wrong or forgot something. But Anyway, we have been talking about rooted. We've been focusing all year on where our roots are at. Our theme for the year is sink down roots and raise up fruit. And we believe that God wants followers of Jesus to be fruitful. And we believe that happens by focusing on what our roots are sunk into, what we're rooted in. And Tim has been doing a whole series on being rooted and talked about being rooted in the, in, uh, in the Word of God, rooted in, in love, rooted in family. And uh, for the last two weeks, or I guess last week and this week, I'm talking about rooted in God's will. And uh, last week we talked about just simply four facts about the will of God. You know, that number one, I can know the will of God. Uh, number two is if I want to find the will of God, I've got to seek it. You know, I'm not going to get an email in my inbox tomorrow morning telling me what it is. Um, the third one, and I've got to look, is, you know, to find the will of God, I've got, got to get to know God. Because God's ways aren't the same as mine. And honestly, His will is a little... It, he don't do things the way I would do them. I mean, that's just all there is to it. And the last one is that God's will is usually different than my will. And as I told you, those are just facts about the will of God. And this week we want to talk about how do I find the will of God. And I've got to kind of preface this to say the things I said last week and the things I'm going to say today are by no means exhaustive when it comes to knowing about the will of God. There's a lot of things about the will of God. And I was amazed when I started researching this, how it just used the words, the will of God, the Lord's will, God's will, His will, and how plainly it is when you go, God says, if you seek, you'll find. And you start looking at what He has to say about that. It is amazing uh, what you'll learn. And I encourage you to dig into this on your own. Uh, one of the topics we didn't even touch on is just how it's difficult for us to know what God's will is for, a for another person. I mean, because He works in such different ways than what we can imagine. I mean, and there are times, I, I talked a little bit about this last week, where God's will was achieved. We have stories of God achieving His will through acts of evil. Now, it doesn't say God caused the evil. People have, still have their free will. But God's will was, was, was executed, came about. His purpose was achieved through people doing bad things. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. But guess what? God did it, so that's all right. And so it's very difficult. Sometimes there's one point, one passage in particular, in, uh, I want to say, Second Chronicles, First Chronicles 10, I want to say, and it was just what the, the, the king at the time was, saw a bunch of advice. He sought advice from older men. He sought advice from younger men. And he chose to listen to the younger men, and, uh, which was the wrong way to go. It was bad advice. And it said, but this was the will of God. God was trying to achieve something. He was trying to divide the nation. He told, he prophesied this, and he did it through this man making a bad choice. And so, guys, I encourage you. I'm just giving you some, some honestly, some fundamental things about finding the will of God. But if you want to learn more about it, dig on your own. Um, that's the way it is. So, anyway, what we're going to do today is we are going to talk. Just look at. We've got. I've got six or seven questions in the notes posed as. How do I find the will of God? You need to answer some questions. Okay? And the first couple are just foundational that influence the rest of them. But the first one is, do I really believe God? That word trust, oh, they, 
Just scratch trust out, okay? It was a typo that both Anne and I missed on my notes. And it says, do I really believe God? I don't know why the word trust is in there. I typed it, but I can't tell you why, okay? Do I really believe God? You see, guys, it's very easy to be religious. It's very easy to believe in God and to say you believe in God, claim to follow Him, but not really believe it. You see, the proof of whether you really believe God is in your actions. Did you know that? You know, I've told the story before where people used to tell me I was a picky eater. And people would say, hey, you ought to try that. It's good. I'd say, I believe you. I don't need to try it. I can just believe you. Well, that's not makes sense. But guys, it's the same way with believing God. This is what James says here in James chapter 2. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. See, guys, you have to decide, what, am I really going to believe enough to take some action on what he shows me? Because like I said, the will of God is usually different than my will. And I guarantee you, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I guarantee you, if you are determined to find the will of God for your life, you are going to run smack dab you know, into a wall where you've got to decide, do I really believe this stuff or not? It's fundamental to what we're doing. You see, guys, I, uh, when my family used to take, we still take vacations, but it's not the same. The kids are all teenagers. But when they were younger and we'd take vacations, we had that inevitable question. How much farther? You know, not are we there yet. We knew we weren't there. We were still in the car. How much farther? And God blessed me with a, a, a divine inspiration in answering that question. Okay, because I, if, it took, if I thought we were an hour away, I would say an hour and a half. Okay, because why? Fifteen minutes down the road, one of them's going to have to go to the bathroom, and we're going to have to stop, and there's going to be a 20-minute break, and I'm going to be wrong if I tell them an hour, and they're not going to be happy. That's the way it works. So I would tell them an hour and a half. Well, then they got older, and they would figure out, Dad, how, far, how much farther we got? We got an hour and a half. That's not right, Dad. You're going 70 miles an hour. That sign said we're 70 miles away. We will be there in one hour. And I would say, I hope I'm wrong. Do you want me to be right or wrong? I want you to be wrong. They wanted me to be wrong. Guys, the question you have to ask yourselves is, do I want God to be right? Or do I want God to be wrong? You see, if you really believe God, you're saying what? God, I want, I want what you say to be right, and I'm going to take action on that. Guys, look at the next passage. And this, this, I have this in here as an example of do you believe what God says and of how you're going to come smack dab in front of something that challenges you. This is in Ephesians chapter 6, and these are instructions to slaves. And this is what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. With respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. See, guys, I don't know about you, 
But if I was a slave, I would not like hearing that. Anybody else with me there? Just pretend he's saying employee instead of slave and see how you feel about it. Okay? Serve him wholeheartedly. Serve your boss wholeheartedly as if serving the Lord from your heart with sincerity and respect. I'm guessing that challenges a few of us in the room. See, guys, the question is, do you believe God? Because what does he say? He says, God says, I'm going to reward you. It doesn't matter whether you're slave or whether you're free. I'm going to reward you. You've got to decide, do I believe God enough to do what he says? Second question, and this is right along the same lines, but it makes it a little plainer. And that is, is Jesus really my Lord? Is Jesus really my Lord? You see, guys, a a slave in the first century, or a slave anywhere for that matter, I just heard recently on the radio that there's, I want to say like 63 million slaves worldwide uh, in India. Nearly half of them are in India. Uh, Slavery is not a thing of the past or just an underground thing. But guys, a slave reads that and what do they think? They've got a decision to make. I made Jesus Lord of my life when I accepted Him to forgive my sins and I got baptized. I've said I'm going to live my life His way, not my way. Now, do I really believe that? Is Jesus really Lord? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. And guys, that is the question. If you are going to seek the will of God in your life, He promises you're going to find it. And I guarantee you, your your commitment to His Lordship will be challenged. I guarantee it. And guys, I just want to warn you, All right, We're about to start a new series here in November. Uh, in small groups, and I encourage, it's called Resolving Everyday Conflict. Okay? Jesus said in His first sermon, He talked about resolving conflict. He said, happy are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And we, we recognize here at Greater Alton that this has been a real weakness for us. We believe it should be fundamental following of Jesus is making peace with other people and reconciling with other people. And so we're, we're asking everybody to look at this a little closer. And I encourage you to get in, into a small group. We're going to be, uh, those are going to be in the bulletin here in a couple of weeks. And we're, uh, we encourage you to get involved. They're going to be all through the week at different locations. Uh, we're going to try to keep them as small as possible. Um, there will also be one here on Wednesday night. If you can't make the others or you feel more comfortable in a larger group, you can come here on Wednesday night. Because we believe the information is, is so vital that we're not going to make you do it just one way. But I want to I warn you. I want, I want you there, but I want to warn you. Okay? I want to warn you. If, you. if you come to this, your commitment to Jesus being Lord of your life is going to be challenged. And that is a good thing. Okay? <laughs> but you have got to, Jesus gives us some very clear instructions on how to make peace. Like, Number one, overlooking offenses. You don't have... It's just because somebody says something offensive or does something offensive doesn't mean you have to be offended. Did you know that? You don't have to do it. It's your choice. That's the easiest way. That is the easiest way is just to overlook it or the simplest way. It also says... You know, and what, you're going to learn this in the thing. I'm sorry, I'm giving you a little spoiler here, but the first two big steps is decide that you want to glorify God. You know, you're, you're interested in glorifying God and Him being honored more than you are being right. 
Now, that's a, and the next one is you've got to get the log out of your eye. That's what Jesus said. And when you're dealing, when you're helping somebody else, you've got to get the log out of your eye first. What that means, you've got to examine yourself. You need to examine your faults. And you need to deal with your faults before you try to help somebody else deal with their small problem. Guys, that's about Jesus being Lord. That's the way He says we resolve conflict. And I guarantee it, because I know, because I've looked at the material. I'm married, okay? I want to be right. Jesus says you've got to give up your right to be right if you're going to live in peace with people. And guys, this is what it is. God's not going to tell you His will if you're not willing to do it. Look at this, this passage in Matthew chapter 7. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. I mean, Jesus in his opening sermon, this is the way he concludes. This is real near the end. He says, ah, there's going to be a lot of people call me Lord and they're not going to get to go to heaven. You see, guys, you need to ask yourself, is Jesus really the Lord of my life? And seeking his will in specific circumstances is going to call you to that commitment, call you to make that commitment and to live out that commitment on a regular basis. The next one, guys, well, there's another blank there. It says, will I accept God's will if I find it? Will I accept God's word if I find it? See, guys, the rest of what I have to say today, the rest of the questions, aren't any good at all unless Jesus is the Lord of your life. If you're trying to find the will of God and without Jesus being Lord, I'm just going to tell you, stop, don't waste your time. That's all there is to it. That may sound harsh, but that's the way it is. The next thing is, guys, what's right in front of me? What is right in front of me? You see, guys, too many times when we talk about the will of God, it's something grandiose. Should I sell all my possessions and move to Turkey with EJ? Okay? To spread the gospel. And in all seriousness, guys, that may be a decision that some, some people may want to make when EJ moves home. You know, that may be the way that God's going to help spread the gospel in Turkey is through EJ and some of us here. I don't know that. But I'm just saying that maybe, and everyone's like, should I do that? You know, and now people's going, man, I want to do that. I wonder if God wants me to do that. You know, well, there's a few fundamental things in front of you right now that you need to deal with before that. Okay? Jesus said in Luke 16 that if you're faithful with small things, you'll be faithful with larger things. And you want to know what the small things are? They're the things that are right in front of you, in your face, right now. You know, that's what, in, in, in the note in your, the, the verse in your passage, the passage in your notes. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, it says, Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. No duh, right? Guys, what's he saying? He goes, deal with what's in front of you. What is in your face? What decisions do you have to make right now? You see, let's say that we know for a fact that EJ, when he goes back to Turkey, there's going to be a team of people go with him. Let's say we know that right now. 
That decision isn't going to be made right now. And the people that do go with Him need to be committed to Jesus being Lord of their life in, the every, in small things. With what's right in front of them right now. And you say, well, what, is that, what does that mean? What is that, what's, how do you know what's right in front of you? What's right in front of you guys is something that you can do something about now. It's something that you have control of right now. You see that passage we looked at in Ephesians 6 about the slave? Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a slave, I want to not be a slave. That's going to be what's dominating me. I watched a, I uh, recorded a movie last week. We have just met, and if you go up to around 300, every so often they give you free channels. You know, we got the basic package, and they give you some movie channels, and you go through and record everything. You're not doing anything wrong, okay? And so last week was the great escape. Oh, yeah. My wife turns out, she goes, this is four hours long with commercials. Yeah, it is. Four hours long, the great escape. And if you don't know about it, it's about World War II. It's about uh, uh, fighter pilots, primarily from um, bombers and whatnot, from the U.S. and, 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 and Europe. Uh, who are in the war. I guess there's just a couple from the U.S. And they, all these guys have been known for breaking out of prison camps. And so the Germans get this bright idea to put them all together in one camp. What are they thinking? And they, and they just sit there and they talk and they come up with a great escape because they're going, we are going, to, they understand the war's not over for them and their number one goal is try to disrupt the enemy and they have to try and escape. Guys, if I was a slave, that would be my attitude. That would be what I would struggle with, is I want to get not be a slave. However I need to do it, that would need, needs to be my attention. But that passage we looked at in Ephesians 6 didn't say a word about getting free. Did you notice that? It didn't even say, pray to God and He'll get you free. He didn't say, well, you're not free because you don't ask. What does He say? He says, you can't control... I believe... He's saying, you can't control whether you're a slave or not. But you can control what kind of an attitude you have as a slave. That's what he's saying. You're doing the, you're being a slave. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. You can do the will of God as a slave. That's what he tells him. You want to know what's right in front of you right now? It's what you have control over. You see, you have control of your attitude at work. You have control over how you're going to respond when you're treated incorrectly. When you are suffering. You have control over that. You have control over how you're going to be as a husband. You have control over how you're going to be as a wife. You have control over how you're going to be as a child, or as a parent. Guys, all you've got to do is you look at what's in front of you right now, what's staring you dead in the face. And I believe you look at the major areas that I just listed, work, marriage, parenting, being a kid, school. I'm sorry, school. You look at school... You look, at your, you look at where you are, those are what, what the will of God right now for you is to deal with those things. And that leads us to the next question. And I'm sorry, let's, let's look at this passage. I know I'm blowing through this. I apologize. Forgive me. Did I read any of those first? Yeah, I read one of the three. I'm sorry, it took me 45 minutes in the teacher's service, and I, I'm trying not to be long. I am. I'm sorry. 
I'm also trying not to trust my notes, so I skip stuff. So, uh, guys, Jeremiah 29, and this is this is the most this is an incredible passage of scripture in Jeremiah 29. What is going on in Jeremiah 29 is the nation of Israel, God's people, has been defeated, has been overrun. The temple of God has been destroyed. The walls of Jerusalem are now a pile of rubble. Okay, and I don't know the exact percentage, but the majority of the nation is dead. There are a few remnants of people still in Jerusalem, still living there in the rubble, and then there are exiles who have been taken to Babylon to live as captives. Okay? And again, back to what I say is, as a captive, I want to be free. This is what God says to them in Jeremiah 29. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives He has exiled to to Babylon from Jerusalem. First thing, guys, you want to note is God sent them there. It was the will of God for them to be in Babylon. Okay? And you need to consider that when you look at your circumstances and how to respond. It may be God's will that you're there. Okay? Going on, this is what He says to them. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. What does he say, guys? Focus on what's in front of you. What you can deal with right now. Now we know, in this same passage, he tells them you're going to be captive for 70 years. We know that they're going to find out the walls are destroyed in Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed in Jerusalem. And later on, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, groups of people from Babylon are going to go back to rebuild those walls. And to rebuild the temple. But that's not in front of these people right here. What's in front of their people is what? Plant a garden. Build a house. Stay where I've put you. That's what's there. Pray for the, for the prosperity of the city I've put you in. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Next question. Has God spoken on the matter? Guys, I believe you want to know. I mean, this, this, is, this is so simple. It's crazy. It took me years to figure it out. You want to know what God wants you to do? Look at what He says very clearly to you. Okay? When you're, when you're reading the Bible, there are some passages that are difficult to understand. You don't let the difficult to understand ones. You use them to interpret the plain ones, alright? You use the plain ones to interpret the difficult ones. And it's the same way when you're looking at God's will. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What has He told you? What has He told you plainly? Look at... This is really simple stuff. In Jeremiah 29 that we just looked at, what did he say? Plant a garden. Get your kids married off. Tell them to have lots of green kids for you. Okay? Yeah. Somebody said, I don't know. Pray for the prosperity of the city that I put you in. You know, guys, on Facebook, I see a lot of moaning about this country. Is it? And there's a lot to moan about. Let me... Let me be very clear. Okay? And I don't care which side of the political aisle you're, you're on. 
All I want to challenge is your focus. You see, because what what's God say? He said, "Don't." He didn't. He tell, didn't tell him anything about trying to change the political landscape of where they're at. He tells them to pray for them for the for the peace and prosperity of that city. Now, my question is: When's the last time you've posted? Let's pray for the peace and prosperity of America. You know, are we more interested in gun control and Obamacare being defunded? And you know, the list goes on. You know, the list goes on. Um, but guys, you got to look at what he's told us to do. This is going to usually answer mo- many of our questions. And uh, see, guys, what has God plainly told you about the circumstances you're in? I've got two passages of scripture. Uh, in your notes from First Thessalonians. And I've got them in there because it is just so plain. Just so plain. The first one it says, For this is God's will, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality. The second one says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, guys, God spoke in very plainly. Do you need to be focused on something down the road on your career, or do you need to be more focused on being sexually pure? Do you need to be focused on changing the people around you and your circumstances, be they financial or otherwise? Or do you need to be focused on your attitude of giving thanks in all circumstances? See, God makes it plain. You know, you want to, you can look at your circumstances and how do I change them? What do I do? What's God's will? How do, how do I take care of my bills? I'm in debt. And how do I, how do I, what about my marriage? You know, it's not what I want it to be. How do I, what do I do? And God says, give thanks in all circumstances. That's His will. No matter where you're at right now, no matter what's going on in your life, He wants you to give thanks in all circumstances. And I smile because that is not easy, is it? I mean, later on he says, consider it pure joy. In the book of James, God tells us, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You know, I always think about that scene from Animal House where they're swatting the guys, and they're supposed to say, thank you, sir, may I please have another? And I mean, guys, seriously, that is, that is, I hate to say it, don't go see the movie if you haven't seen it, okay? It's a horrible movie. I've just told you the I just told you the highlight, all right? <laughs> Guys, that's literally the attitude God wants you to have when when tough stuff happens. Just to give thanks. That's what it says. You want to know what to do? You start doing that and see how things change. See how your view changes. Guys, that's God's will. Look, what has he plainly said? Look at it. Look at it. The next one, guys, is what's my real motive? Ooh. What's my real motive? You see, and I talked about this last week, that most of the time I believe when we're seeking the will of God, we're really seeking something else. We're really seeking permission. We're really seeking validation. We're really seeking recognition. We're, we're seeking God to rubber stamp what we've decided already is a good thing. Okay? And that's why you have to ask the question of what's my real motive? Because 
I think we fool ourselves sometimes, don't we? We fool ourselves. I shared it last week, but there's times when Tim and Alan and I will be talking as elders and we will say, I'm questioning my motive here. Why? Because it looks like God's leading us the way I want to go. And we know what? That's usually a sends up a flare. (laughs) If God's doing what I want, uh, I question whether I'm seeing things accurately. Because why? I'm a human being. And I've screwed things up so many times it isn't funny. Look at this passage here in Psalms. It's a very popular passage. And I use it often when I'm up here. And I don't believe we can put it in front of you enough. Because I believe this is just such a difficult attitude to have before God. This is what it says. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting. You see, guys, if your motive is different than God's motive, guess what? You're not going to find the will of God. You're going to be clouded trying to make happen what you want to happen. I've got another little note there that says, what's my end game? And all I mean by that is, what am I really after? What am I really after? You see, I, things changed for me when I started to say, God, I, don't want to, I want you to make me the man you want me to be. I'm going to stop trying to get life to be the way I want, and I want you to change me instead of changing my circumstances. And guys, it's changed me forever. I talked about it before that we all have, or I, I quoted uh, Rick, Rick Warren, where in one of his books he talked about that we all have a dominant life value. It's a value that influences everything we think, everything we do, all of our decisions. I've confessed, my, you know, I've had dominant life values in the past of financial security and comfort. You know, I also had one of recognition. Where I want to do things, I make a decision, I look for what I'm supposed to do, will I get any recognition from it? Will I be comfortable getting recognition from it? And will I have financial security? Those influence my decision. And that's why you have to answer that question about what's my end game? What am I really after? You see, God has an end game for you. Do you know what it is? He wants you to be like Jesus. And if you don't believe me, look in Romans chapter 8. This is what it says. It says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son. Now here's my question. If that's God's end game for you, if that's God's motive for you, do you think it ought to be your motive too? And if you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I have any other motive, that's going to influence your finding or negate your finding the will of God for you. Because God's will is pretty clear here. He wants you to be like Jesus. And He can do that through every circumstance possible. I don't know if you've heard or not, but just this weekend... Uh, they finally figured out who's going to be in the World Series. Did you hear about that? 
Who thought it, right? Now, I'm just guessing that the majority of the people here are Cardinal fans. Is that right? I am a casual Cardinal fan. I am a... I, this is the time of year I really pay attention to it, and I learn more about them than I usually do. Uh, I believe that's the will of God for me. He doesn't want me to give attention to that year-round because it's just too long and boring for me. I'm just being honest. And God has blessed me and the rest of the Cardinal fans with a pleasant distraction just about every fall, isn't it? Just about every fall. We get something just that really means nothing to us, and we may get a good illustration for life, a pleasant distraction that we can feel good about. Now, not everybody in this room has embraced that blessing. Did you know that? That's right. Some of you, primarily Alan over here, are, are Cub fans. Now, I offer to you I offer to you that they are Cub fans by the will of God. Now listen, listen. It says, Romans 8, in all things God works, what? To make them more like Jesus. Jesus had to learn humility. And, I, and there is no doubt that these people are learning perseverance. Yes. Yes. And how to react well when abused, right? Guys, that's fun. That's neat. But you, you do need to understand. That's, that's a funny illustration. But... It is true. God is trying to use everything in your life to get you to be more like Jesus. If that's not your motive, if that's not your end game, if that's not what you're after, you're not going to find the will of God. You're not going to do the will of God. And you're going to be incredibly frustrated and disappointed with life. Next one. Next one. Is... Next question is, am I in a hurry? Do I really need to talk much about this? Okay. Look at the, look at the two Proverbs that I have here. First one's in Proverbs 19.2. says, it is dangerous to have zeal without knowledge. And the one who acts hastily makes poor choices. <laughs> I laugh. I made it. We, my wife and I, we bought a, a second car wash, and we're in the middle of rehabbing it. And I had to uh, make a choice on a asphalt contractor. And I've never dealt with an asphalt contractor before in my life. I made a wrong choice. It's okay. Don't get me wrong. I, I just wish I'd have made a different choice. And I signed a contract with the, with the contractor that I used, and an hour later a different one shows up. If I would have waited one hour, two hours, I, I would have avoided the problem. Guys, what happens is what? We get in a hurry, and what happens? We miss the will of God. We decide we have to act on our own. Here's another one in Ecclesiastes 10.4. It says, and I encourage you to go online and look at this in other translations. I chose this one because it's so plain, though I do believe it 
uh, communicates what God wants us to say. It says, if your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. But don't, don't, you know, one of the translations, calmness can, can put great errors to rest. Guys, you made a mistake. Just be patient. God will get you out of it. Don't be in a hurry. He'll show you His will. And finally, guys, the last question is, is there a door opening or closing? I mean, and this is just a practical matter. You have a decision to make, whether it's college or whether it's a business decision or buying a home, and financially, the finances just are not there and the door is closed. And God doesn't, the door never opens up. That's not God's will. That's not God's will. I, I have a rule of thumb in my life that when I run in, when I'm trying to ask God about something, I'm trying to seek whether I should do something, and I run into three closed doors, I quit. And that's because you find, you find that example in the Bible of Jesus when He's in the garden praying, and He prayed three times that He wouldn't have to go to the cross, that God would have another way. And God didn't have another way. And then the Apostle Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12, where he talks about his thorn in the flesh. And he says, three times I begged the Lord to remove it from me. And three times he said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And he, he understood. He says, this thorn in the flesh was to make me humble. That's my, that's my deal. It's, it, three times. I'm not saying that, you, it, you know, I know there's a, Jesus told the parable about somebody asking, about the widow asking the judge over and over and over again, and finally the judge gives the widow justice, and that we need to pray to God, oh, you know, and pray and never give up. I get that. But I don't want to be a bullheaded fool. And so three is just mine. If God is opening the door, look at this in Romans chapter 1. It says, And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the, may, the way may be opened for me to come to you. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking about visiting the Romans. He wants to go see him. And he recognizes, if I'm going to get to go see you, God's going to have to open the door. And guys, that's one of the things that I, I, I could have had in here more. In the book of James, it talks about we shouldn't say we're going to do this or that. We shouldn't say, hey, next week we're going to go move to this town and we're going to do business there and we're going to make a lot of money and stay there for a year. And then come home, he goes, you shouldn't talk that way. That's boasting. He said, what you should say is, if it's the Lord's will. And guys, you want to know what the Lord's will is? Is the door, is the door opening or is the door closing? That's the question you need to look at. If he closed the door, don't keep moving forward. Don't do it. And you can go for it. And guys, just a side note. This is, this is just... Kind of a side note. Um, I've told you very clearly, I'm in the auto glass business. I would prefer not to be in the auto glass business. In fact, I would have preferred to be out of the auto glass business about 11 years ago. And that didn't happen. Well, about 11 years ago, uh, I had a business opportunity come before me. And everything looked like, and I believe looking at it now, God opened the door for me to pursue that business opportunity. Now, he didn't tell me he was going to bless it. Okay? He just wanted me to pursue it. And the reason I say that now is because 
all the doors were open. Everything about it came about. I didn't. I wasn't looking for the opportunity. It got dropped in my lap. Every time I talked to somebody about it, they, they saw the opportunity. They saw that it was a good opportunity. Everybody, I mean, I consulted lawyers. I paid good money to lawyers. I consulted accountants. I consulted uh, uh, Tim and Alan about Not Tim and Alan. Tim and Robert about it, wasn't it? And uh, everything looked open. I should pursue this. And I can tell you right now, I believe it was God's will for me to pursue it because the door was open. It wasn't His will to bless me with it because it didn't happen. But guys, what do I look at? He also, he ended, what happened was, I ended up in a place where I needed God more in my life. Where I relied on God more than if, I had, than if, than if He had blessed it. And so guys, you've got to look. Is the door open or is the door closed? Guys, as we close out, there's a communication card in your notebook, in your notes there, that you can fill out. And in a minute here, I'm going to pray, and they're going to sing a song, and you can fill that out. And let me ask you just to, as you look at yourself, just maybe write down for the prayer team which question you need help answering. Which question you look at and go, I, don't, I question my motive. You know, I, I don't know what God says plainly about my circumstances. I need to dig to find out. Maybe you say, I question my lordship of Jesus. I encourage you to choose one and include the prayer team in praying for you about that. Let's go to our Father in prayer as we close.